You couldn't sleep for three days? Huh? You slept for three days. Yeah, they made me feel squirrely. Well, I don't want that either. I just want to be regular. I ain't never had a house so quiet. She slept for three days. Hey, Dana. How you doing? Pretty good. <laughs> he said, hey, Dana, how you doing? She all right so we're gonna be in x20 and uh we'll try to finish today where do we actually get to last week anybody remember 28 no yeah we did yeah but i skipped over a bunch of stuff would you tell us what we got I was thinking like twenty two, twenty three. We we did. I remember doing twenty two, twenty three. You read was twenty one. You got twenty three. Now I did skip down. I did. I remember skipping down just to read one verse. Well, you explained to me twenty five and twenty six because I had a question. Okay. Well, let's just remind ourselves then. Twenty two and twenty three is where. Paul, we talked about he didn't know the exact plan, but he knew that the Holy Spirit was leading him to Jerusalem. I remember talking about the GPS, but not, you know, wanting to know the whole plan. And that's how we want to know the whole God's whole plan rather than just follow him when he says move. I remember talking about that. And remember what's going on. He's talking to these Ephesian elders. He didn't stop in the city, but he called them out to him as he was going by. And he's given them kind of the speech that he's given, uh, in my opinion, he's given to all these churches as he's uh, going by. It says there he's strengthening them and all those kind of things. Uh, he says that the 23, he said the Holy Ghost witnesses to him in every city saying that bonds and afflictions abide me, uh, that bonds and afflictions are waiting for him. He uh, he. We said that that was it was the Holy Spirit showing him that because he you know because he was experiencing bonds and afflictions everywhere he went, he pretty much knew that 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 was what was coming. Um, let's see, the last the last part of this chapter uh, is is we're going to continue with his talking, but he's gonna he's gonna start talking to the elders uh, in twenty eight. Ex- Expressly, but until then, he says, he says, but none of these th- in twenty four, he says, but none of these things move me. Neither I count, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace, to the gospel of the grace of God. I'm having trouble seeing too. Um, he was, Paul was running on. He had two overriding convictions that override everything else. The first one was that his life wasn't valuable uh, to himself for his pleasure or his joy or his, you know, making something out of it. His life, he, he says he counted his life as nothing except for one thing. The, the value that he found in his life was to finish the course that God had given him, to finish the mission, to finish the, the race that he'd run. He saw his life as a, he saw his life as a race, a course that God had put him uh, upon. He was going to run the race, and that was that was his purpose in life. Um, a lot of people look for purpose, and when they don't find purpose, it makes them. Um, I don't know. It makes them despair. It makes them depressed. It makes them. Uh, you know what's life all about? You've heard about the midlife crisis and all that kind of thing. Um, hey, hey, how are you? Going through a midlife crisis. 
Probably, probably. I wasn't until you got here, but now you now you're here, so I am. <laughs> uh, yeah. So his purpose was not to not to um, his purpose was that he was going to finish the mission that God had given him to do. That was his purpose. Um, why do we have such a problem? You know, that in 2002, I'm going to say 2002, I think it was, there was a book that came out and it has since sold at least 30 million copies. When I tell you the name, you're going to know exactly what it is. Um, 2002 came out and it was all about finding your purpose. It was, uh, of course, it was purpose-driven life. And... Uh, how many of y'all ever read that book? Anybody read that book? Good. Because you, you'll look long and hard. You won't find no gospel in that book at all, period. The first line of the book says, this book is not about you. And then he spends 200 pages telling you how it is about you. Uh, and why that book sold so much because people want purpose. They want purpose in their life. They, you know, I mean, he, he tapped into a market that... You know, people saw that they were hungry for it, and it it really blew up. I mean, thirty million copies—that's a lot of dang books. That's a lot of. Usually, if you're an author, you know, you sell seven, eight hundred copies. You're doing good. I mean, as far as uh, far as uh, uh, publishers uh, standing, you know, they make money. You sell sell a thousand copies. You're doing really good. You know, thirty million copies. You that's a rock star. You know, what I mean, you you're a rock star. So, uh, but Paul's purpose was not to be happy. His purpose wasn't to um, have fun, to live life, to be uh, prosperous, to be comfortable. To I mean, he anything that you can think of. His purpose was to finish the course that God had given him, and that was that was included suffering. It included being stoned and beaten and whipped and put in jail and all those things. He already told us in this verse right before that uh, that he knew that going to Jerusalem was going to be hard because there were going to be trials waiting him and all those things. We're going to see in the next chapter where the church actually says, begs him not to go to Jerusalem, but he goes anyway. Um, his purpose was to finish the race that that he was given to run. He was commissioned by God to be a witness. That's what Acts is all about, being a witness. And he was going to finish the race, and that's what he found value in his life. Did you see it in, in uh, 24 where it says... It says, uh, but none of these things move me, which means they're not going to dissuade me from what I'm fixing to do. He says, neither count I my life dear unto myself. He says, I don't count my life dear unto myself. I don't count my life as valuable for me, is what he's saying. I don't count it valuable for what I can get, for what I can do, for what I can build upon, for what I can make out of myself. He said, but... Um, uh, I don't count it dear to myself so that the reason why I don't count it dear to myself so that I might finish the course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, is he just talking about himself? I mean, he is just talking about himself, but would that not apply to us? I mean, Paul was like a preacher. He was a missionary guy. So that really don't apply to all of us, right? That just applies to Paul, the apostle, Paul, the church planner, Paul, the missionary. Does that apply to us? Have you received a commission from God, from Christ? Yes. Are we awake? 
Labor Day. You have received a commission. What is that commission? Go and preach the gospel. Does that mean you got to start a church? No. No, it does not. It means wherever. Actually, I mean, we can get into a big thing about this, but when he said go in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, when he said go there, that's not actually a command to go. The command uh, is to make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, teaching them all things I've commanded. Go is a participle there. So it means he's saying as you go, Baptize, teach, make disciples. So wherever it is that you're going, where, wherever you, you go when you leave the house, whether it's to work, whether it's to school, whether it's to whatever, you going, you are to be a witness. You have been, you have been given the same commission that Paul was given in Acts, um, and he counted his life as worth nothing if he lived it for himself. Why do? Why is that hard for us to do? I mean, of course it is, but tell me why it's hard for us to do. All right. Why? Okay. First of all, why do so many people? Why are so many people looking for purpose that they can't find? Thirty million copies of the Purpose Driven Life. Well, they're looking in all the wrong places when they need to be looking. Right. I agree with that. What is it about purpose that people want? People want to feel like they matter. To feel like they matter. What? Self. Yeah. Reward. They want it now. Worldly, Worldly rewards. <coughs> yeah. Yeah. People want peace in their life. Want peace? Yeah, just that everything is finally the way I want it. You, you know. Yeah. Everything is finally the way I want it. Huh? Like there's somebody. Like there's somebody. Yeah. Like a pr- like a pride thing, like a pride thing. I all, all those sound good to me. They sound like right answers. Um, why was Paul so hung up on just completing the mission? Why why didn't I mean Paul was he was supremely educated. He was uh, very outspoken as far as he would get in your face. He would get in your face and he would tell you just how it is. Uh, he wasn't scared. He wasn't... I mean, if 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 it's me and the Holy Spirit told, told me I'm ready to go to Jerusalem, he didn't really tell me what I'm supposed to do there, but he told me that I was going to be going through trials, I was going through persecutions, probably going to lose my life. Eventually he did lose his life. Um, and not to mention the fact that he spent half his life traveling around planting churches preaching the gospel what was so what was so important to him why was it so important to him to finish the course not just to be on the course and do good on the course but to finish the course why was it so important to him i think the beginning of his road on damascus road is what gave him that drive you know the way that god came to him and put this up and got his attention the way he started him out is something he never forgot and it drove him to know exactly what God wanted him to do right and people today and I say people I'm talking about us I'm talking about me too um, finishing the course is really not is not in our sights you know 
we have a tendency to say, well, I done done a bunch. I mean, let somebody else handle it now. You know, I, I, I'm, I, I had a preacher friend of mine that talk, was talking to me, and I mean, I didn't say nothing to him, and I didn't, I mean, it was just conversation, but it really struck me that he said, you know, I'm just uh, I'm just kind of holding on till I retire. I mean, this guy's younger than me, so it ain't like he's almost at retirement age. You know, he's like, he's like his, his goal in preaching, his goal in ministry, his goal, I'm sure he wouldn't say it that way, and he's a good guy. It's not nothing wrong with him, so I don't want to make it sound like he's just a bad guy or anything, but he already had Retirement plans. You know what I'm going to do when I'm retiring and all that kind of stuff. And he was already looking forward to retirement. There's nothing wrong with retiring if you're a preacher either. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying it was already on his radar. You know what I mean? A guy like 33 years old. You know, he's already, his retirement's already on his radar. And I mean, he was looking forward to the time when I, I won't have to, I won't have to be burdened with all this stuff. You know, I won't have to be burdened with all this stuff. I won't have to go to work no more. You know, life will have meaning. And he would have never said nothing like that. But it just seems like we live that way. Like life doesn't have no meaning unless I'm always getting to do what I want to do. I'm always getting to uh, recognition or pride or, or, you know, make something out of myself or have peace or, or, or whatever. When the reality is that Paul, you think Paul, you think Paul had peace? I mean, I know he had peace in Christ, but do you think he had peace as he was getting run out of every city and beaten and thrown in jail and Yeah, well, I mean, we know he had peace in Christ. We're not talking about that, but we're talking about, we already talked about in in Ephesus when it seemed like Paul was ready to give up, didn't, didn't it? And God came to him and said, don't be silent. I've got many people in this city. You stand and you speak. No one will be able to harm you. God came and encouraged him. And so he tells these Ephesian elders here, he says, um, the only thing that I count valuable in my life is that I finish the mission that he gave me to do. I finish the course that has been set before me. I finish the race that he has, has given me. And that race consisted of, you look at the end of 24, he says, um, which I have received of the Lord Jesus. He's given a commission just like we are. What was his commission? To testify the gospel of the grace of God. That was, that was it. I mean, that was the purpose of his life, to testify the gospel, to the gospel of the grace of God, to testify to the gospel. You ever thought about this? Did Paul see the crucifixion? No. Did he see the resurrection? He didn't see the resurrection. Jesus appeared to him later. So he knew that Jesus was raised from the dead and he did see Jesus. But he wasn't an eyewitness to the crucifixion. Not that we know of. I mean, he might have been hanging around in Jerusalem at the time, but we don't know that. So he wasn't a witness to the crucifixion or the resurrection. So when he told of the grace of God, what do you think he was... I mean, besides the fact that he was preaching, he was preaching the gospel, what do you think he was telling them? I mean, he couldn't really say, I saw him dead and I saw him alive. What was he telling them? About what happened to him. He gives his testimony. That's exactly right. And as we finish the book of Acts all the way up to 28, he's going to give it three times in front of three different governors. He's not he's going to stand in front of them. He's going to say, look, I was on my way to Damascus and this is what happened. And he's going to tell it three times before we in the next 
seven, eight chapters. He's going to tell his testimony three times. So our mission is, you know, when it says I'm going to finish my course, I'm going to finish my mission, I'm going to finish my race. He was testifying to the gospel of grace. He was talking about what Jesus did, but he was telling what Jesus did for him. He was telling what Jesus, that he appeared to me and that he spoke to me and that he saved me and that he changed me and that he did those things. We'll see that as we keep going through Acts. Um, I think I, I, the question you asked is why, you know, why do you think he, he did this? Why do you think he endured this? And I think Paul answers that question in 2 Timothy when he says, I have fought a good fight, I have finished the course, and I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which is the Lord. He knew the results. He knew what was to come to him. You know, now he didn't know, like, you know, somebody came and told him this was going to happen. But he knew, you know, he knew the end result for himself was greater than anything he had to go through. And I think in, in him knowing that, that also, along with his testimony, gave him that endurance to endure. He knew that something better was waiting after he... Well, he knew perfection was waiting. Yeah. You know, that's what he said. You know, there is a crown of righteousness waiting for me, which is, which is the Lord. Mm-hmm. Don't we all know that? How lazy we are about our mission. Yeah. Yeah, but Paul lived his life knowing and doing stuff that we do. Man, I wish I had that. He never wished it. He did it. You know, so where where we are lazy with it, he was not. Do you really think that he, he loved it? I mean, you know, you all say that, you know, and, and it's true that you do what you love. It, I mean... You do things over and over and over and over and over again, and then, like you said, he kind of gets maybe questioned himself, and God showed him, okay, you've been persecuted after persecuted after persecuted. Okay, I'm going to show you that, you know, I'm going to save you this one time from being persecuted to give you hope, you know, to keep going. And that's. Do you think he really loved it? Is what you yeah, started with. He really loved it. I mean, loved getting persecuted. No, loved just just going out and doing. Oh yeah. He's free to do what he wants to. He's not tied down with anything. He can just go. You know. I mean, I'm sure he didn't get loved. I'm sure he didn't I'm love sure taking a whipping. Persecuted. Yeah, but he loved Jesus. I mean, he loved. His heart was changed to love Christ, and that's a that's a fact. Whatever you love, you will you will sacrifice for. You will make time. I don't care what it is. You can tell me all day long. Well, I didn't have time. I just ain't got. But if you love it, you will make time for it. I don't care what you have to do. It's a fact. I mean, it's a fact. We were talking about some person the other day, and you know they going. They're going on a trip or whatever, and they somebody had to get up at three. And you know, I just don't know if I can drive at three. I was like, well, yeah. I mean, if it was, if it was, if it was Black Friday, I bet you wouldn't mind driving at three. You know, if it if you was going fishing, I. <laughs> You know, if it was something you love, you wouldn't you wouldn't have no trouble getting up at three. It'd be like, is it three yet? Is it three yet? We've got to go. You know, people do what they 
love. And that's a fact. And a lot of times we, I'm going to be talking about this a little bit in the service today, I think, I hope. Um, we are, we're spoiled. And we think that we think that God owes us something. And if he don't come through right now with what I'm supposed to be having, then we think, we think, uh, you know, it, 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 how come I ain't, you know, how come you ain't doing X, Y, and Z for me over there? Billy crossed the road over there. He got all this and I ain't got nothing. You ain't. I mean, we are spoiled. We are spoiled bad. Uh, and that's why, that's one of the reasons why, I don't know about y'all, but in my own life, that's one of the reasons why um, it's easy for me just to lay back and say, well, I deserve, you know, I deserve this rather than pushing to finish the course that God has given me. You know, there have been many times where, you know, I used to have this deal where, well, no, we ain't worried about that. All right, so 20... What? I think like you said, though, we're spoiled where we take it for granted, but he's been persecuting Christians and killing them. That's true. I didn't think about that. And on down it says, therefore I testify you this day I am innocent of the blood of all men. I mean, up to that point, he's been, I mean, through all this, he's done a lot of horrible things. Yeah. He needed God. We get to the point where we think we really don't. You think he was? He understood that he owed a debt that he couldn't pay. That's right. He wanted to finish what God asked him to do because he loved him and he was grateful for the mercy and grace that God gave. Him. Yeah, I didn't think about that. That's true. He he was a very good big persecutor. He says in verse 25, And now behold, I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. That's very important right there. Verse 25, preaching the kingdom of God. What was he preaching? That's not a trick question. What was he preaching? He was preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel. He's pre- preaching Jesus died, buried, rose again. There are some people, you may run across them every once in a while, who will tell you that the kingdom of God preaching is different than the gospel preaching. That is simply not true. Huh? How can that don't even make sense? Well, it comes from it comes from a a viewpoint called dispensationalism, and I mean it's I mean we could go into it. It's a big old thing, but the the idea is that Jesus and the apostles preached a different gospel to the Jews than they did to the Gentiles. Well, Jesus didn't preach to the Gentiles, but you know what I mean. Like after the death and resurrection, the gospel changed to the death and resurrection. And when he was actually preaching, when Jesus was on the earth preaching, he was preaching the gospel of the kingdom to the Jews. And Paul here says, "I was preaching to you the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom of God is the gospel of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ." We can get into a, a bunch of that, but I just want to make you aware that the kingdom, the kingdom that we are preaching is the gospel. It's the gospel of of Jesus Christ. That's how, I don't care if you're Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female, the only way you get into the kingdom is by Jesus Christ and him crucified. Simple as that. Um, And so he says, he says, I'm not going to see your face no more. Now, he loved these people. In in a minute, he's going to tell us that he warned them over and over for years with tears about false teachers that would come in. When he says, verse 25, I'm not going to see you anymore. I'm I'm thinking the next thing is going to be, man, I'm sure going to miss you guys. I'm sure I sure wish I could be with y'all. I'm sure, you know, I wish I didn't have to go. Y'all have meant so much to me. But that's not what he said. He said, wherefore, I take 
I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not, this is why he's innocent, for I have not shunned to declare unto you the counsel of God, all the counsel of God, the whole counsel of God. Now he says, look, basically what he's saying, think about this now. He said, look, I know that I'm not going to see y'all anymore. He said, but I need you to know that I'm innocent of all your blood because if you're still unconverted, it's not my fault. I preached the whole gospel to you. I preached all the counsel of God to you. Do you think that implies, he says, I'm innocent because I preached all the counsel of God. Would he not be innocent if he had held back and not preached all the counsel of God? I'm not talking about innocent like saved or unsaved. I'm talking about would he be accountable if he had held back some of... Oh, yeah, they're just like we are. That's right. That's right. Ezekiel three eighteen, I think, says uh, when I. That's where it says, if I say to the watchman, you know, that uh, if I, man, I, my head is so full of snot, I can't even think straight. Let me just read it to you. No, I'm good. I'll get it in a minute. Ezekiel 3.18 says, When I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him no warning, nor speaketh to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. At thine hand. And so Paul understood, look, if I, I, I am innocent because I'm pure from your blood, if you have chosen to reject Jesus, if you've chosen to reject the kingdom, if you've chosen to live for your own needs, your own wants, your own desires, rather than be a slave to Christ. I'm innocent. I bear no responsibility for that because I have preached to you the entire counsel of God, the whole gospel, everything that has to do with salvation and righteousness. And he says, I'm innocent of that. Now, the implication of that is, like we talked about last week, it's not your responsibility is not to convert people. Your responsibility is to make sure he said, I'm innocent whether you saved or whether you lost, whether you're going to heaven, whether you're going to hell. I'm innocent of your blood because I preached to you the gospel. I, pre- I testified to the kingdom of God. I gave you the whole counsel of God. So whatever comes of it, it's on you. It's not on me. He says, I gave you I gave you everything that God told me to give you. He said, I'm innocent of your blood. So that that you can imply a lot of different things from that. One of the things I take from it is that, like we said, it's not your responsibility to uh, take the burden of whether somebody whether somebody accepts the gospel or not. That's up to God. It's not up to you. It's your responsibility to be obedient. It's your responsibility to be a witness. It's your responsibility to be a testimony. And God will hold you accountable if you are not. He says, I'm innocent of all men's blood because I did not hold back anything. Because I did not hold back the, the, uh, the whole counsel of God. Uh, so you are not innocent if you do hold back uh, to being a testimony, being a witness. He, uh, he said, um, I mean, he said, he basically he was telling them, I'm leaving. And y'all aren't going to see me anymore. You know what I've taught. You know what I've lived. You know the testimony that I have. It's all on you. I mean, it's all on you what you're going to do with it now. And so, in one sense, that's kind of, uh, I don't know, it's kind of harsh. But in another sense, it's kind of liberating, isn't it, for us? Because it's not up to you. I used to tell the kids, 
that uh, what you're, the gospel is a lightning rod. And all you're doing is handing out the lightning rod in the thunderstorm. I mean, you don't know where lightning's going to strike, but you know that when it strikes, it's going to strike that rod. So you go handing out the gospel. And God saves, you know, whom he draws is whom he saves, you know. And you can't make somebody understand it, believe it, trust in it. You know, faith, faith in Christ is... The easiest hard thing or the hardest easy thing that you'll ever come across. Because what it takes is just faith. And it's simple. Huh? He us to plant the seed. And Yeah. It's simple to believe. But it's hard. You ever want you ever notice that? Cough drop. It's simple, so simple that even a five-year-old could believe. But it's so hard because everything inside of you don't want to believe. Or you want to see something. You want to see some evidence. You know, you want. You can't touch it, see it, grab it. How am I gonna know? God, drop me a sign down. Show me that I'm good. Show, I mean, that I'm okay. That everything's fine. If our eyes were completely open, we would see the grace of God everywhere ever since we were little. You know, God saved me from this. I fell off a horse when I was eight years old, but I didn't die. Yeah. You know, you know, good things happen in your life, and until you open your eyes, take the blinders off, and see God's grace has been there your whole life. Yeah. And you're just too blinded to see it. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. With the, with the trip that we just took this past weekend, my kids got to see pretty much the, the book of Exodus come to life. And when we left from there, of course, I went immediately into questioning of what did you get from it? What did you get from it? And, you know, Shelby Ray thought, you know, the music was great, which that's from her nine-year-old point of view. You know, Cole thought that the, you know, the, the miracles were amazing, the plagues. That was just, you know... He just thought that was mind-blowing. Cheyenne took away from it, um, you know, just how far, just how much wrath God really had. She's like, he he went as far as he, he killed babies. Luke took from it the one thing that resonated with me was God is real. God is really, really real. And... Not only how, how real God is, he said, from the beginning of time, Mama, it paved the way to Jesus. And I thought, wow, at 13 years old, he got it. He got it. He realized it's that from in the beginning, paved the way to Jesus Christ. And at 13 years old, for he got this at 13 years old, which took me till I was 30 to get, you know? Mm. And I thought, that is a gift of God in itself. Mm-hmm. Is that he realizes that from the beginning of this to the end of this, it is the is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right. And, and it's like I told him, that seems so, that seems so, you know, easy for you to comprehend now. I said, but now it's holding on to that, that that's going to be a fight because everything in you is going to want to fight against it. Yeah. That's true. All right, so let's move on. We're not going to get done. 
starting in verse 28, he, he gives some instructions to these elders. Now, if you go to thinking that, well, I'm not an elder, I'm not a teacher, I'm not a preacher, that these don't apply to me, you have totally missed the point. Because what this is about is being a witness, about being a testimony. Um, his Basically, the whole thing in a nutshell is you are to care for the brethren, especially as elders, as, uh, you know, somebody looks up to you as their disciple or somebody looks up to you. You are to care for the brethren. You are to. That's not that's not that's a no brainer. We've seen it throughout scripture. You are to fellowship with the brethren. If you don't fellowship with the brethren, I question your salvation on biblical grounds. Be happy to meet with you or whatever. Don't care. I'm, I'm prepared. Bring your Bible with you. Um, 28 says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. There's a whole lot right there in that, church, in that verse. Uh, you are to guard, guard yourself. Take heed means to keep or to guard. Uh, the word means to keep or to guard. So what he's saying is you are to guard, to keep yourself. To guard yourself? What are you guarding yourself from? The enemy and sin. Sin, the enemy, flesh, the world, self. That the, biggest, the biggest enemy that you have is not Satan. I mean, he is the biggest enemy. I mean, I guess he is the enemy. But the biggest enemy, the only avenue Satan has into your life is that guy that you see in the mirror. That person you see in the mirror. That's the only, the only way he can get to you is through your flesh and through your sin. He's not going to be, I've said this a million times, he don't rot, rattle pots in your kitchen at 3.07 in the morning. And he don't... Uh, he don't bite you in your sleep or come through the wall or live under your bed or none of that stuff you see in the movies. He he whispers in your ear and says, you deserve that. It's okay. It's not going to hurt. It's going to be fine. Everything's going to be all right. That's what he does. He's a tempter. He's an attempter and accuser. And so it says you guard yourself and you guard the flock. You guard the flock that the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. Who is Who is it that made them overseers? Who is the who is the flock that he put together? It's yeah, it's the and the Holy Ghost has done it over which I've talked about this verse before and said when a person now I'm going to say something a little controversial right here just because I'm kind of sick and I got a headache and I really don't care. But I want you to I want you to listen to this and, and, and think with me. It says take ye therefore unto yourselves to all the flock the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. Now, these are the Ephesian elders. Were they responsible for the people that were living in Corinth? No. Were they responsible for the people that were living in Caesarea? No. They were responsible to be... Now, I'm not saying don't pray for people in China or nothing like that. We're, the church is the worldwide church. I got it. They were responsible. Take heed, guard the flock of which the Holy Ghost has made you an overseer. Now, this is this is what I'm gonna say. That's controversial. I, I've had this discussion before. Me and Brother Eddie talked about this before too. So I'm not scared if you run go tell on me. Um, <laughs> the person who shows up on Sunday morning sits on the back row and leaves, you know, before the service is over. Am I, let's just use me as an example. Am I responsible 
for the person who will not allow. Is Brother Eddie responsible for the person that will not allow him to be their pastor? No. No, he's not responsible. Now, if you know Brother Eddie, you know he's going to make himself responsible. He's going to go anyway. He's going to go do. Every, I mean, he's going to do everything in the world. But. In reality, he's going to do that because he loves people and he wants to see souls saved. And I mean, that's nothing wrong with that. The people that refuse to invest themselves in the local assembly have no have no right to call upon whatever assembly they're in, whoever that pastor is, and make demands of him as if they were part of the church. That makes sense. That's a little controversial. I know. But this instruction here is that the overseer is responsible to guard to guard the flock of which the Holy Ghost made him an overseer. Part of guarding, we're going to see in a moment, I, I'm never going to get done. Part of that garden is to protect them from the wolves. That's what he says. For I know this, that after my departure, grievous wolves shall enter in among you, coming in from outside... Not sparing the flock. But then in 30 it says, Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Part of guarding yourself and guarding your flock is understanding that there's going to be people that come in from outside. Wolves in sheep's clothing. Ravenous wolves. And they're not going to all have pitchforks and tails and horns on their head. You know, they're not going to all come in and say, you know, if you've been with us for the whole First John study, um... Well, you see that the people that were coming to the church, they would say, yeah, we're all about Jesus. I'm all about Jesus. But their Jesus wasn't the same Jesus as in Scripture. And John rebukes them. He said, folks are going to come in from the outside. They're even going to rise up amongst your own selves. And you are to guard. You are to keep. That's what take heed means. It's a tereo is the word. It means to guard or to keep. You are to guard the flock. You are to guard yourselves. He says, there are going to be wolves that come in among you. And you are to protect the sheep, you know, so sometimes there's going to be people sitting in these green chairs that uh, that folks are going to need protection from. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? So sometimes there's going to be people in here that want to, you know, that they would never say most would never come to you and say, well, this Jesus stuff isn't real. I mean, you'd, you'd spot them a mile away if they did that. Be a whole lot, a whole lot subtler, a whole lot um Having the appearance of godliness, but denying the power, just a whole lot more, uh, more subtle. And it says, therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not warn everyone night and day with tears. It's something he's serious about. Something he's serious. He he warned them with tears. He warned them with tears to be alert. Therefore, watch. You got to be alert. Always, always have discernment ears. I don't care if it's, you know, somebody that you love, preacher that's on TV, even if it's me talking, you know, you have the opportunity to come ask me, you know, I don't think what you said was right. And we can sit down and talk about it. I've been wrong before and I'll be wrong again, I'm sure. But you have to have discernment. You got the same book I'm reading out of, you know, and I ain't Jesus by any stretch of the imagination. So you have to be discerning. You have to keep watch. It says, therefore, watch uh, and, and remember. He said, the whole time I was with you, I, I warned you over and over again with tears. And the last thing he says, and then we can go back and talk about whatever you want. 
The last thing he says is that you are to serve. You are to serve the brethren among you. And he talks about himself. Verse 33 says, oh no, verse 32 says, And now, brethren, I commend you to God, to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. He's leaving and he said, I'm leaving the word. The word is here with you. That's all you need is the word. And then finally, he says, you are to serve. I have coveted no man's silver, gold, or apparel. Yea, yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities. And to them that were with me, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak, to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, is more blessed to give than to receive. So basically, he gives them final words, final synopsis of... Um, what they are supposed to be, what they're supposed to do, what they're supposed to watch out for. They are supposed to be on guard, watch over the flock that the Holy Spirit has made them overseers of. They are to keep themselves. They are to trust in the word. He said, I'm leaving you. You have the word of God, the gospel of grace. And they are to serve, laboring with their hands to be with, to, to feed the weak, to help the weak among them. Make sense?